0: Over at the Never Heard of It podcast, we've spent the last four years criticizing people's films and talking about how they could have made them better. Well, you know what? Now it's time to put your money where our mouth is. That's right, the Never Heard of It podcast and Night Shift Radio are making a movie. We are making a brand new sci-fi thriller called Somnium. Somnium is the tale of a brand new app, something kind of like TikTok, where people are able to watch others' dreams, everyone's dreams, anonymously across the world. However, our main character, Adam, starts to see dreams that look all too familiar, including dreams of somebody murdering him. So the question is, who is dreaming of murdering Adam? That's the question we look to answer in our brand new film, Somnium. But we need your help. We need your help in funding so we can pay the amazing crew and the amazing cast of this brand new film. Head to nightshiftradio.com Somnium. Donate what you can. And if you can't, share with 100,000 of your closest friends. Someone out there is going to be a rich weirdo that's going to want to fund this film. So again, nightshiftradio.com slash Somnium. Thank you so much, guys. We look forward to making this movie just for you.
1: Welcome to Shift Alt Q, your LGBTQ centered source for creative, fun and thoughtful discussions and news. The intersection of gaming, diversity and community. So you'll no doubt notice that things sound a little different here at Shift Alt headquarters. Usually by now you've heard our wonderful hosts, Alex and Jesse. But today for this very special episode, you're getting me, Shift Alt Q's producer, Andrea. Hi, hello. So if you follow us on Twitter at NSR you may have seen that Night Shift Radio has this big crossover event happening today so one of our shows superpod hero cast is reviewing scott pilgrim vs. the world which celebrated its 10th anniversary in 2020 Uh, and they invited the rest of the network to join in on the fun and so we're doing that and this means today not only can you get superpods super fun episode but left of the dials caleb and Kitsy will be covering the movie's iconic soundtrack and our director of content michael fight will put the movie in his crosshairs for fight jokes about everything Uh, and of course i'll provide links to those episodes in the show notes You should definitely check them out. And if you happen to be here because you made your way over from one of our other shows, welcome. Glad to have you. Thank you for checking us out. Um, And come back next week to meet our usual hosts, Alex and Jesse. They're great. Okay, so for our episode, of course, I'm mostly here to talk about Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, the game, complete edition. Uh, Before we get into all that, we'd love it if you subscribed, rated, and reviewed our show in your podcatcher of choice. You can give us a follow on Twitter and Instagram, like I said, at nsr and head over to nsrad.io to learn about all our other shifty shows. Okay, so if you're someone like me who didn't play this game in its original release, it might be helpful to have a little background info. Um, So Scott Pilgrim, the game, was released in 2010 as a tie-in with the release of of the film Scott Pilgrim, obviously, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World. Uh, both of which are based on the Scott Pilgrim series of graphic novels by Brian Lee O'Malley. So all of these products, the film, the graphic novels, and the video game are about the titular Scott Pilgrim, who's a hapless and hopeless Canadian in his early 20s, along with his friends and bandmates and ex-girlfriends, many of whom occupy all three of those categories at the same time. And then, of course, the manic panic pixie dream girl, because her hair changes color a lot. So Um, who fully roller skates into his life, uh, Ramona Flowers. And, of course, then there's her seven evil exes that Scott must fight in order to date her, Uh, honestly, as someone who watched the movie once in theaters in 2010, and then not again until this week while I was playing through the game. I struggled to really connect with the movie in any meaningful way. I know I'm here to review the game, and you should definitely check out Superpod's episode for a more extensive review of the movie. But, uh... I want to talk about it a little bit here at the top because there are a couple of things I think will be especially relevant to our listeners and I want to talk about quickly before we dive into my review of the game. So there's some LGBTQ plus representation in this movie, which, but even from a 2010 perspective, it's not always the most positive. Uh, it's This isn't to say that it's wholly problematic. Uh, it's just, uh, okay, so Wallace, who is probably my favorite character in the movie, um, he's Scott's gay roommate. And there are things I like about Wallace and Wallace and Scott's friendship, especially. Um, For one thing, Wallace and Scott often share a bed, but with little fanfare. It never feels like the joke here is that Scott, an aggressively straight man, is in bed with a gay man. The joke seems to be that two 20-something men have only one bed between them. In fact, at first, it feels like what's comical is Scott's straightness. And not that he's straight, but like, quote unquote, too close to a gay man. Rather, just the fact alone that he's straight. Like, how silly. Um, Especially when we see Wallace and his various partners throughout the movie which is a fact none of them seem to struggle with. In one scene, Scott wakes up, as usual, in bed with Wallace, and it is by turns reviewed that two other men are also in bed with them. And yes, while this is the polyamorous exposure I'm looking for, I want to be clear that I'm not saying there's anything inherently queer about non-monogamy. And I want to be clear that there are moments in this movie where Wallace's promiscuity, which I mean in the denotative sense, um, Wallace has many partners throughout the movie, that's a fact, no judgment, but there are moments in Scott Pilgrim where that promiscuity is played for laughs. It's clear that Wallace has a history of stealing boyfriends uh, away from Stacey, for example, and where his being gay is just a joke in and of itself. Scott tells him um, at one point that he needs to leave the house because Ramon is coming over and he doesn't want Wallace, quote unquote, gaying up the place. But and this might be more praise for Kieran Culkin's portrayal than for the writing of the character but Wallace himself doesn't feel like the proverbial butt of those jokes and I'm sorry we're in a parenthetical inside a parenthetical at this point but stick with me and I'll, I'll get us out of here alive. it's possible I'm reading this through 2021 eyes because to me it was easier to laugh at Scott for making those jokes than it was to laugh at Wallace for being the subject of them and so I kind of have a question especially for any straight men who might be listening to this do you like Scott Pilgrim? Not the movie. I get liking the movie. I I like a lot of the movie. I mean, the character. Do you like him? Is, Is Scott likable? I don't remember how I felt about him in 2010. I have like vague memories of liking the movie enough, but not being totally bowled over by it. I remembered so little of Scott himself, though. And I like Michael, Sarah. Sorry, I'm just interested to hear uh, what your opinions on Scott are. So yeah, I'm almost done and then we can talk about the video game. My point here is that even if the film doesn't intend it to be seen this way as a queer polyam person in 2020, it's much more pleasant to read Wallace's character as a comment on the messy, literally violent situation Scott gets himself into by being, I will repeat, aggressively heterosexual and monogamous. Like, think about his two biggest conflicts in the film. So the first one is he's cheating on his girlfriend, Knives, who's a high schooler. I I hope this goes without saying, but if you're 22 years old, don't date a high schooler, even if all you ever do is almost hold hands. So he's cheating on Knives, or at least has cheated on her, depending on how you define cheating, with Ramona, because he's too afraid to tell Knives that he's not into her. And Ramona has no idea he's dating Knives, so it's it's bad all around. And his second issue is obviously Ramona's seven evil exes. That's the whole movie, right? In order to date Ramona scott has to defeat her seven evil exes because i guess if one of them can't have her then none of them can and then of course she's a self-described bitch for being the one to have broken up with all of them and yes scott does slut shame her for having seven exes and so i'm not saying that scott should embrace non-monogamy i'm not here to sell that to anybody his communication style in mind in fact i'm guessing he would be very bad at non-monogamy I'm just saying that intentional or not, Scott Pilgrim vs. the World makes a compelling case for the ways in which assuming heteronormative monogamy as default can be quite literally dangerous. Also, and I promise I'll be quick with this, I completely forgot about Ramona's ex-Roxy. So I made the mistake of being excited when I thought we were about to learn that Ramona was bisexual. But as Ramona herself says, quote, it was just a phase. She thought it wouldn't count. But, you know, as I'm thinking this through, the fact that Roxy is one of her seven evil exes implies that their relationship very much does count. So I don't know. I guess that's another thing. I have a question for our listeners. What do you think about the queer representation um, that either is or isn't, depending on how you want to read this movie, in Scott Pilgrim? What did the movie mean to you in 2010? Does it mean anything to you now? If you watched it recently, how does it hold up for you in 2020? We'd love to hear from you. I'll say it again at NSR shift alt Q. Anyway, this isn't the movie review podcast. uh, So I'm going to talk about the video game now. Check out Superpod HeroCast uh, for more discussion of the movie. Okay, so here we are. The game. So I didn't play Scott Pilgrim vs. the World, the game, when it was originally released. I don't typically seek out side-scrollers, and the last, like, side-scrolly, em kind of games I remember playing were, like, uh, Simpsons and X-Men and Ninja Turtles. Those games, like, at the skating rink on a Friday night or in an arcade down the shore or at the mall, And yes, before you ask, I was a child in the 90s, and I did grow up in New Jersey. I don't know what gave that away. But all that to say, I couldn't really compare the complete edition to its original, because I wanted to give you my, like, as authentic review as possible of the complete edition. I didn't want to rely on your reviews, so I went back and pulled up a couple from 2010. I'll provide links in the show notes for those as well. Seems like many of my biggest complaints now were also the biggest complaints of 2010 reviewers. I do have a lot of positive things to say about the game, so I'm going to get those negatives out of the way first. To begin, like I said, it's been a long time since I've played a game like this, but Scott Pilgrim is hard. Harder than it should be, uh, especially in the beginning, and it's harder than it should be for a couple of frustrating, albeit familiar, if you're used to side-scroller, beat-em-up games reasons. So the thing I found myself struggling with most was was the depth of field. Alex, I know you're listening to this and saying that's categorically an Andrea problem, but many 2010 reviewers agree with me, so there. Um, it's often difficult to tell whether or not you're at the same like level, or I guess if you imagine the screen like a kind of grid if you're occupying the same square as the enemy you're trying to take out. Too many times I thought I was going to go hit some goon with like a sweet uppercut, And instead, I just end up ineffectually throwing my sad little fist in the air. And in the time it would take me to recover, both physically and emotionally from this blunder, I'd open myself up to attacks from one or two or ten other goons. There are a lot of enemies coming quickly in this game. Timing also felt a little sticky to me in some cases, where it felt like the time between swinging and contact was inconsistent. So it was difficult to kind of self-calibrate there. And while I loved being able to pick up and fight with so many objects, that was often difficult as well. Uh, Sometimes it seems that I need to be like right on top of an object. Other times I would need to be a little ways back. And again, instead of quickly grabbing an umbrella or a street sign or my personal favorite, a fallen enemy to use as a melee weapon, I would just end up like kicking or punching the air when that would fully invite another enemy pile on. So that was frustrating. I also thought, and it wasn't until I read those reviews, I realized it wasn't just my lack of experience playing this kind of game recently. There are just too many bad guys who take too much time to get rid of. So every single person you encounter can get knocked down at least once and still get back up again. They get knocked down, you move on to another bad guy. They get back up again. They get knocked down, but they get up again. It Feels like you're never gonna keep them down. This gets easier as you purchase items to level up throughout the game. This is one of my favorite aspects of the game. Popping into the different stores in the first level, they all felt like little easter eggs to purchase like random drinks and snacks and records and books. Each of which has a different stat boost or bonus or effect. And it turns out 2010 reviewers, again, agreed with me that this is pretty much the only way to progress effectively through the game, at least in solo mode. Now, here's where the complete edition steps up from its original, it seems, is in co-op play, local and online. It feels like a no-brainer that a game like this would have cooperative play. Everyone knows, like X-Men and Simpsons and Ninja Turtles, those games that I mentioned earlier, are the most fun when you're playing with a bunch of friends. And so I haven't played in co-op mode But I have to imagine it's a more fun, balanced, and rewarding experience to play that way. So um, if you're going to pick up this game, I recommend you find a few friends who'd like to play as well. Okay, so I'm just going to run through a couple of observations now, and then I'll leave you to visit the rest of the Night Shift shows, taking part in today's crossover event, because there is a lot of fun content out there for you to take in. So I will say the game looks great. It's got that beautiful, nostalgic feel of those 16-bit side scrollers, but kind of like with a fresh coat of paint. So... The, like, your PS5 playing eyes won't be offended by the more simplistic style. It still looks really great. It's also just very cute. Everything is very cute. You're a bobble-headed sprite fighting other bobble-headed sprites. Everything is bright and bubbly. It just feels good to look at it. The soundtrack rules. Anamanaguchi wrote the original soundtrack, and they've just carried this over into the... I don't know what... It's not a remaster or re-release, whatever. But it's chiptune. It's very fun. you like it. Oh, your characters have a summon they can spend points on. So it's the same summon for everyone. If you're having a little trouble in the game, you can summon knives and depending on the character you're playing as, she does a variety of things for you. So this might also be a tiny spoiler if you're sensitive to spoilers, so you'll want to skip ahead like a minute. So for example, when Scott summons knives, she whips up this big cloud that spells out love and it boosts your health and stuff. And when Steve or Wallace summons her, she throws a bunch of big ass knives at your enemies and does a lot of damage that way. The one that stuck out to me though, was if you play as Kim, when Knives shows up, she gives you a little kiss and you get a boost to your health and your enemies are stunned. Now, I've never read the graphic novels, so I didn't know this until looking into it for this review because I was curious about what was going on there. And again, this is spoiler territory if you plan to read the graphic novels, so you'll want to skip ahead like 30 seconds. But Knives and Kim do end up dating after Knives and Scott break up. So on the one hand, like, cool, they're both too cool for Scott. On the other hand, she's still much younger than them. And aside from those issues which carry over whether she's dating Scott or Kim I worry it's and I can't say for sure um, but I'm worried it's played as some kind of joke in the novels like isn't it funny that Scott's such a terrible boyfriend his girlfriends have to and air quotes here go gay it's a tired trope and it's one I wouldn't be surprised to see played here especially considering the time period that the novels were released you know the 90s and the early 2000s were not friendly to bisexual women not that 2021 is is much friendlier but I can't say for sure that that's the case, but the fact that the enemies in the game are, are fully stunned when they see two girls kissing kind of tells me I might not be totally off in my speculation there. Okay, I'm going to leave you with a piece of advice. So unless you are someone who loves the grind of a game like this, and you will need to grind early on, save up all your coins, buy the most powerful upgrades you can, etc., etc., you'll, you'll really need to focus on that in the beginning if you want to do well later on. Unless that's part of the fun for you, I have a tip. Be a Scott Pilgrim. Be a Scott Pilgrim and cheat. I read a review that mentioned cheat codes, so I was a big old cheater and I looked them up and had a much better time playing. I got myself a big Powerful as Hell sword and I burned through a lot of the game that way. It was actually fun and a nostalgic kind of way to cheat like that. I know cheat codes have been around forever and they're all over the place um, in, in lots of games, but using them as this particular kind of game really reminded me of like the old Game Genie days. I think some of us probably still have those old codes floating around in our heads. Uh, S-L-X-P-L-O-V-S. So yeah, it's a fun game. It's a frustrating game. It's very cute. If you like Scott Pilgrim and or you like side-scrolling beat-em-ups, or if you're someone who loved the original and was bummed when they pulled it, I'd say it's worth your $15. It's a game I think I'll go back to sometimes whenever I've got a little time to kill and I don't want to get sucked back into Hades. The game I tell myself I'm only going to play for a bit because I've got a little time to kill. Suddenly it's two hours later and I'm buying new curtains in hell. Anyway... Thank you so much to the Superpod Hero cast for inviting us to take part in this. We're, as a show, a new part of the network, so it means a lot to us to be included. Uh, definitely go check out their Scott Pilgrim episode. Check out Left of the Dial's coverage of the soundtrack. Remember when everyone's Facebook status was the opening lines to the song that uh, Clash of Demonhead plays? That song fucking rules, and our friends in Lefto have some cool info on it, so you should go check them out for sure. Go get some laughs and learn some stuff about the cultural impact of Scott Pilgrim by checking out Fight Jokes About Everything all kinds of good stuff out there today links to everything will be in our show notes of course and as always thank you so much for joining us we're at nsr shift alt q and i'm personally at aq was taken on twitter we'd love to hear from you jesse and alex will be back next week let them know how much you miss them we love you bye